Hey there, faithful ThoughtBot podcast listener. We love podcasts and having the opportunity to share our experiences through such a personal medium, and we hope you enjoy listening as much as we like creating them. For the month of December only, you can show your support for ThoughtBot and our podcast with mugs, shirts, and a limited edition knit hat. This particular shirt and mug design have never before been available outside of our own teammates and customers, and they may never be again. For the production and shipping, we are proud to partner with Social Imprints, who provides career opportunities and a living wage to people who need a second chance. So help support your favorite podcasts, provide employment opportunities for at-risk populations, and get some nifty ThoughtBot swag. Head over to ThoughtBot.com podcasts to place your order and show your support. And hey, thanks. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Derek. Hey, Derek. Hey, Ben. How's it going? I'm great. It's good to see you. Yeah, you too. It's good to hear your voice as well. Glad to be here. I hear you're traveling right now. I am. Yeah, I decided to head out to California to thaw out a little bit. Um, it's just it's just begun to get cold in, in Minnesota now. Mm-hmm. So it's been unseasonably warm for the last few months, like 10 to 15 degrees above average, and um, finally saw our first snow last Friday, um, and it was it was pretty magical. I'll have to say, you know, I've never I've never actually been in falling snow before. What are you if kidding you can, me? If you can believe that, yeah. Oh my god. Um, I mean, it doesn't snow at all from where I'm from in California, and you know, if we if we do escape away to the mountains, which are like two hours away, we usually don't go when it's actually snowing because then it's like super inconvenient. You have to put chains on your tires and all that good stuff. So, so you're a child uh, of summer. Yeah. Wow. Essentially. I see. Uh, so I see sunshine behind you. So you've escaped the the winter. Yeah, it's like now. sixty degrees here in in California. We when we left, it was uh, twenty eight degrees in Minnesota, and there was some some snow in the planters at least, and a little bit of ice. So did you kind of like it though, the snow? Yeah, it, to me, it's still a novelty. Um, and from what I'm hearing, like even the the locals who kind of get like sick of it after a while, still say like the first few times it snows, it's it's really cool so I, I feel the same way i lived yeah. in boston a long time i've been through a lot of snow but the, the first uh, the first couple months of it honestly even when it's just cold yeah. like when there's that crispness and it gets really yeah. cold at night like i really enjoy that yeah I, I like walking out of my building in the morning and like the cold air hits my face and it like wakes me up instantly and, mm-hmm. i don't know i yep. still like it <laughs> it's good sleeping weather too yeah totally i enjoy that uh yeah. so you want to talk about some stuff sure we should talk about uh the things we do and the products we run and, and all that kind all of right. thing Cool. Let's hit it. Uh, so I have a couple of cool things that have happened since we last chatted. Uh, nice. One is we've decided to hire a support person, or actually more okay. accurately, hire an outsourced support company. So we're working okay. with CoSupport, which is run by Sarah Hatter, who used to work at 37 Signals. Yeah, I think she spoke at MicroConf one year, and I heard her. It was like shortly after she had broken away and started her own uh, consultancy. So. Yeah, that makes sense that you've seen her. She, she seems to be good at promotion, I guess. Mm-hmm. She, or at least, let's call it teaching. Yeah. As I as I researched them, it felt kind of like I was looking at sort of like the thoughtbot of support in that they spend a lot of time teaching what they know. Mm. So you can go to their site and they have like a handbook that's like the support handbook that they've written about how to do support mm-hmm. well. They threw their own conference that's centered around this topic. Sarah yep. speaks, speaks a lot of conferences. I saw her somewhere else, maybe business of software, I think it was. They're definitely investing in that whole like teach what you know, and then it comes back to kind of be beneficial for you. Um, right, and it it kind of made them the obvious choice, honestly, of everyone sure. I talked to. Yeah, I spent part of yesterday kind of onboarding our new support person, uh, and spending more time today. We're gonna we're gonna pair support for a while. Okay, 
And, you know, I'm, I'm realizing we've done a little bit of documentation of processes on like Upcase, for example. Uh, mm-hmm. But on some of the on the other products, there's not really any any docs. It's kind of like an oral history of how to do support <laughs> right. um, and hold, held in various people's heads, which yeah. is is not good. Is not good. Period. Um, yeah. I was talking about with someone else about hiring this person, and he was like, "Something you should think about now uh, is what is it going to be like to train the second support person or mm-hmm. the person that you hire after this person." Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a really good way of thinking about it because we're about to go through a fairly painful experience of there's a whole bunch of knowledge you need now. Yep. But if, if as part of doing that, we can document it, then the next one becomes so much easier. Yeah, it's always going from the jump of like one person who holds all the knowledge to N number of people. Like yeah. I think that the most pain is going to one outside person. And then after that, they can, you know, they can kind of train and and build up, they're going to probably write some documentation as they learn. That's kind of the model we followed with our, our new support engineer that we hired. Similar situation, we didn't have a whole lot of documentation. Yep. So what he's been doing is like building out a whole wiki, I think that basically like outlines all the processes as he learns them. And so it's been a good exercise for him to actually write it down. You know, it helps solidify his learning. And then that's a resource that we can reuse 100%. Um, in the future. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I think we have a mutual friend, Brian Cassell. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love listening to his podcast for a bunch of reasons, but one of them is with Bootstrap Web is the podcast. And one of the things I love is that he is relentless about documenting processes, getting checklists in place, and then yep. handing off that process to somebody else. Totally. Like it's so yeah. interesting to watch how he built his company audience ops. And like I, I listened basically through the whole you, you can you can hear the whole process on the podcast and it's like he starts off doing, you know, everything basically and then right. systematizes it, standardizes it hire someone into it, then writes a process for how, how do you hire people to do that process. And it's just like he just yeah. keeps moving up the ladder of abstraction. It's, it's wonderful to watch. Yeah, seeking like ultimate efficiency in the process, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, yeah, his, really- so he has a consultancy now, I guess an agency maybe is the best way to talk about it, uh, that produces content for people. And he doesn't need to be involved in the day to day. It's like, and, and I think it's like, they're like up to 25 people or somewhere around there. And it's like he, he has successfully got himself out of all of it effectively. So he can focus on kind of where he wants to, like what's next and, and the big picture things. Yeah, that is like the definition of working on your business, not in your business. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think he's killer at that. Yeah, I've had some success myself. And just just in the simplest version of this, like even just I think checklists are really powerful. Have you read the checklist manifesto? I haven't. It's an awesome book. It's by um, Atul Gawande, I believe. Um, okay. And it's about basically the power of checklists to improve medical outcomes. Mm-hmm. So he looks at like aviation and how incredibly helpful it was in aviation to have standardized checklists for dealing with emergencies or dealing with landings mm-hmm. and takeoffs and things like that. And the success they've had in bringing a similar idea to surgery. And there's this checklist that's really simple, actually. I think it's only like seven items or something um, that yep. just like hits the major basis. Like, do we have, you know, I- I- is there a lot of blood loss expected? If so, have we pre-ordered enough plasma to replace it? You know, right. have we verified that this is the right patient? Has the whole operating team introduced itself to each other? Like, does everyone know each other? Have they introduced everyone by name so you know who has what job? Uh, yeah. And it's, it's like all kind of things that you would think, like, this has got to be, everyone would always do this. Like, how could this need to be a checklist? But um, in places where they've deployed it, they're seeing, like, huge reductions in, in accidental or, I guess, deaths, period. It makes a lot of sense, like, logically, just or through common sense, I guess, because you look at, like you said, the aviation industry, you look at space flight, you know, that's all heavy, like process driven, lots of checklists, even when it seems unnecessary. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and how many planes are going down every year? Like very few, right? Oh, yeah. So, it's incredibly safe. Yeah. So I have a checklist that I use to start my day. And mm -hmm. I don't always use it, but when I do, I have a better day. Um, yeah. And it's, it's simple stuff like it's an ordering of, of what to do and, and how. It's like, okay, first, close Slack, close mm -hmm. email, close IRC, <laughs> close messages, go on Do Not Disturb. That's like the first thing. And then, mm -hmm. you know, like I do a, basically a sweep. It's like process work email, process personal email. And that like I basically am sweeping all my to-dos into, into my to-do system. And then it's like process mm -hmm. through the to-do system. Then flag mm -hmm. the stuff for today. And like none of it's like groundbreaking, but I've, it's evolved with me over time. And yeah. it, it lets me, just that idea that there's like there's a next step and I don't need to figure out what the next step is, is really useful for kind of getting me going, especially when I'm kind of like feeling a little resistant to getting going. It's like, yeah. okay, well, any of these steps is, is pretty easy and I can see what, what it is. And, and so I'll just do it. I can see that being useful for me actually at this point in time because I've got... On any given day, I'm reviewing code, I'm checking email, I may be going to meetings, I'm trying to write my own code, yeah. talking strategy, whatever. So I think having as much process in place as possible to then allow the, the parts that are more flexible in the day to, to just exist. Um, yeah. Yeah. The nice thing I found is that having built the habit of using my checklist to start the day, I can mm -hmm. add new daily habits by just putting them on the checklist. Mm -hmm. So it's like there's there's certain things I want to do every day, and so like on my checklist is like clearing the form keep support queue. It's just like right. just just make sure that gets done every day, and so I just put it on the checklist, and now it just happens. Yeah. So it's kind of an easy way to chain like new habits onto there. Nice. Yeah. I've already gotten my value out of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. But yeah, so uh, my life right now is onboarding our person, and I told him I was like, hey, like you're you're my priority right now because. I want to get you up to speed and then move on to the next thing. So don't feel like you're bothering me. Don't feel like, you know, it's too many questions. Like, this is what I need to focus on so it can get <laughs> to done or, as, you know, as close to done as possible. Right. Do you guys use a lot of, like, canned responses and things in your, in your support system right now? Like, have you built up a, a repository of those? A or? little bit um, here and yeah. there, but I wouldn't say we use them a lot. Okay. We do get some repeat requests. Yeah. To me, those are bugs, basically. Right. So it's like I'm like hesitant to like oh well I'll just have a standard answer for this. It's like maybe yeah. we should just fix this, right? In in one sense it feels like kind of a cop out. Like if we're having to answer the same question over and over again, then maybe we should just make sure it never gets asked again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. as best you can. Ideally, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Uh, although sense. we do have like a canned response for like understanding why your bill looks weird after you switch plans mid month due to proration. That's one of those. That's one of the things that's oh, hard to explain. Oh, stripe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're yeah. Again, they're they're correct, but confusing. Right, right. Um, but it's I haven't been able to write any code yesterday. I can't write code mm -hmm. today, and it's interesting. I was thinking how this feels like one of those things that feels slow but is fast, like building yeah. building a team. Yeah, I can't remember who said this. Maybe Bob Martin um, or somebody like that. But like talking about writing tests for code, it's one of mm -hmm. those things that's like feels slow is fast. Right, because like it lets you go fast eventually or faster overall, yeah. Uh, and and this this sort of team building, training, onboarding, documentation stuff, uh, I think is is in that category as well. Yeah, you have to almost get in the mindset that like you're still shipping something in the sense that you're still making progress on something, even though it's not the same. It has a different profile than like shipping code. Like yeah. it feels different. Yep. It feels like maybe you're not being productive. I found myself saying on some days when I'm when I spent a lot of the day just like helping other people on the team keep moving. It's like at the end of the day, I sit back and think, man, I didn't get anything done today. And then it's like, wait, hold on a second. I look at all the, you know, pull requests that came through and got approved or, you yeah. know, all the people that got unstuck today, you know, and that, that is making progress. It's just 
it's just a mindset shift, I guess. Totally. Elon Musk has been quoted as talking about thinking of Tesla as working on the machine that makes the machine. Mm. So like there's improving the car itself, but then there's improving the company that makes the car. Right, right. And that's what I feel like I'm doing right now. It's like the working mm-hmm. on the business thing, like you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It feels good. It feels like an investment. I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah, that's cool. Two other kind of cool things are going on. Uh, one yeah. is that the Hound pricing change went live. Okay. Uh, and we moved everyone over to the new plans, which was kind of a wonderful moment because Hound revenue went from 8K a month to 18K a month. Wow. In a day. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so, so I'm expecting to see cancellations up much higher than usual. Um, sure. That's what I found on Formkeep was for a couple months, people were like, oh, yeah, that's right. I meant to cancel that and I didn't. Or, you know, it sort of like jogs people into action if they had been meaning to cancel. Sure. I imagine some of that will erode over the next couple of weeks and we'll see higher than cancel- normal cancellations for a while. But yeah. if it's like Formkeep, then most of them actually will just stick around and are okay with the new price. Right. And remind me again, what pricing scheme did you settle on? For, sure. For so uh, old pricing was $12 a month per private repo. Uh, mm-hmm. Public repos were free and still are. Uh, and now we have tiers for, uh, so it's $49 for up to four repos, $100 for up to 10, and then 250 for up to 30, I think it is. Okay. So it, we prices have gone up a lot. Yeah. So average revenue per user is up, up a bunch. Uh, mm-hmm. But we're still seeing new people signing up that like weren't aware of the old prices and like they're signing up and paying the new prices. And you know the majority of people are still sticking around and seem to be okay with that value. So it feels really good. Very nice. Do you have anything in place like to... I know testing prices is one of the most difficult things to do because it it's like sometimes you don't know the result until months in to see what what churn is, right? right? If they're more likely to churn out, but do you have anything in place to kind of try to gauge any of that? Or is it just... Do you mean like an A-B test kind of thing? No, more just like a, well, I guess at least knowing what historically your churn was and then like moving forward, how it, it's changed. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. So we use bare yeah. metrics for that. They connect okay. directly to Stripe. And so we have okay. historical churn and we'll know it going forward as well. Got it. Okay. Uh, which will be interesting to see. My guess actually this churn that will is... <laughs> I think churn will be lower. I yeah. think we'll sign up fewer people, but the people that stay will stay for longer. Yeah. That's kind of been my experience so far. Like the, the higher plans always have lower churn. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll go on record as, as guessing that for now. I think it's a good hypothesis. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. But damn. So this is like my second time raising prices on something and uh, <laughs> having revenue go up a ton. Uh, and it took, you know, a month of work to get change the code around to get it here. But it, it's still amazing to see the graph just spike up like that. Yeah. So that, that trick continues to work, it seems like. <laughs> just keep raising all the prices until you reach the, uh, well, until I guess, yeah, we've said like, if no one's complaining about pricing on our side, then it's probably time to raise prices. You yeah. Know? Yep. So we've reached that point right. multiple times in, in the history of trip. <laughs> uh-huh. Have you had, have prices gone up over time? Um, they have. They Our tiers have stayed the same, but we have basically dropped down the the subscriber limit so if you look at our tiers i think they're actually still the same on the top end like 49.99 149 yep um but gradually the subscriber count has gone down gotcha on those tiers mm-hmm. yeah but we have grandfathered i think everybody has been grandfathered in thus far mm-hmm. just because i think it would have been too jarring of a change to make for for past folks but mm-hmm. um well i've i've jarred some people that's for sure 
<laughs> yeah, I feel like when you, you know, depending on the the magnitude of customers you have, if you have thousands of customers, then you might not be able to get away with just across the board hikes, you know. Yep. But um, yeah, at, at a little bit smaller scale, it it seems ideal. So it is interesting how changing the prices exposes the fact that some of our customers are pricing experts and experts mm. about our business. Sure, yeah, and would like to share their opinion. Those always come out of the woodwork. <laughs> oh man. I mean, I, I get that it's sort of like from a place of frustration and like right. it, se- it seems there are like some clear logical arguments f- toward lower prices, right? It's like, well, if you charge less, then more people will sign up and then word of mouth is better and, and all that. And it's like, yeah. yep, that's true. But that doesn't mean that's <laughs> the best way or like that doesn't mean that's like not an option that we should consider later or so right. we had, a, I've had a couple of people that have lectured me as to what I should, what we, sh- what we should be doing. If you just charge a dollar a month, you could have a million customers, Ben. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, well, I have a friend and he uh, is a VP of engineering at this big company. And we're going to use we were going to use Hound on a a side project, but now we're not because it's too expensive. And so he won't he won't get to see that it's good and he won't enable it at work. And it's like, yeah, I I hear you. But Mm -hmm. we just more than doubled revenue. So maybe it's not the worst thing we've ever done. (laughs) So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, those are always fun conversations to have. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting I'm getting used to this now, having done it a couple times, where it's like they're going to be pissed off people and they're going to send me emails, and I'll just be nice to them, and it's going to be fine. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and then so sort of the final thing that's been going on is something I'm actually maybe most excited about, which is I feel like products at Thoughtbot are kind of going they're going we're going legit for 2017. Okay. So products are going to have uh, are kind of are now sort of their own division. So mm-hmm. we're going to have our own profit and loss statement and our own balance sheet. And okay. the goal is, so we're, we're seeding. So all the revenue for products are going to go into sort of the product bucket. And that is for me to manage as I see fit. Um, mm-hmm. we, we can hire people when we can hire people and we can spend money when we got it. Um, we're seeding the balance sheet uh, with 50K for the year. Yeah. And the goal is to not go back to the well. I think there's some flexibility nice. if it was like, okay, we have an amazing idea and there's a huge opportunity. We need to go negative for this reason, but we expect this ROI. That's certainly a possibility still. But my mental goal is to, to probably not do that unless something amazing comes along. Yeah. And so it's sort of a mindset shift more than anything else, mm-hmm. but I really like the mindset shift. Yeah. Um, it feels yeah. like taking off easy mode. Mm-hmm. Kind of makes you feel like you're running as a bootstrapped company essentially exactly which puts it puts certain constraints in place um you think differently about hiring if you know that there's not a big well to tap right uh you think differently about product strategy and where to focus your time yeah i found that the constraints of being bootstrapped have i've been i think by and large really healthy totally um, yeah i didn't have quite guilt but it was like going to like microconf right where it's like the, you know the conference for bootstrapped whatever's and it's like, well, we're sort of bootstrapped in that Thoughtbot is bootstrapped. Right. Um, but like there is that, that whole Thoughtbot bank account backing these things. Right. So I, I like that it's, it's more, it is bootstrapped now more legitimately. Yeah. I dig kind it. of the difference between like self-funded and bootstrapped. Like you're actually, now you're actually trying to fund operations off of revenue alone, which is going to be a, a good challenge, I think. Totally. Yeah. It feels more, yeah. it feels legit. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, and it's 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 already changing my mindset too. Where it's like I think now of my myself as an expense, like my salary is an expense, mm-hmm. and it's like and it's and even and also just like small things where it's like, oh, you know what? We have four Heroku dinos running as background workers, and we probably I haven't looked at that in a while. Like, do we still need to spend fifty bucks a month for each of those? Like, just right. I think it's gonna I think we'll see expenses drop as well. 
Um, mm-hmm. because, I mean, I'm, I actually I have a to-do item to like go through and just review kind of everything. And it's like, just I'm sure I can cut $1,000 a, a month in random odds and ends here and there. Sure. And I just haven't done it because it hasn't been quite such a priority because we haven't really measured it directly as like, this is, <laughs> this is important. You got to pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. So what was the main motivator behind the, the shift? Is it like, is it for the kind of the motivation reasons or is there like another underlying business reason for, for kind of separating the two? Um, it's a good question. I think part of it is just sort of the legitimacy aspect or it's just the, mm-hmm. it's the focus and mm-hmm. it gives a way to kind of objectively evaluate the success of products. Mm-hmm. I think that's nice. It feels good to me. I, we sort of started a thread maybe six or seven months ago, which is like, how do we improve our work on products? Mm-hmm. And this was our, our best answer to that. So it was addressing some things like it doesn't feel real sometimes. It, doesn't feel, yeah. it feels a little insulated from consequences or like reality. Mm-hmm. And it's just like there's always more money. And so, or like there's uh, effectively. Um, and right. so it, it doesn't quite get run like a real division or business. Yeah. I think that was maybe the biggest factor. Right. Yeah. It's like, how do you define success for, for this product if it's lumped in with the success of the entire company, I guess. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. And its yeah. fate is tied to the rest of the company directly too. Like when we had layoffs a little while ago, we moved, we pulled two people off products. Mm. And so it's like, okay, the rest of the, co- like we're kind of tied in that way. So we're experiencing some of the downsides along with the rest of the company. Right. But, um, so that'd be nice to have like a slightly more independent operation. Yeah. yeah. And, and awesome. also the, the products would sometimes negatively affect consulting too, because we'd pull people off of consulting to work on products. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, well, there's a, there's a real cost here. Are we accounting for that? Are we paying attention to that? And right. the paying attention kind of no. Accounting, yes. Like, you know, we, the people would show up in the right places on, on the books, but like it didn't, it kind of didn't matter. It was like, okay, we spent 50 grand on people last month. So what? Right. Yeah. So is, is the, like the product division going to quote unquote pay for ThoughtBot consulting yes. when it pulls? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And also um, a, a portion of the like fixed expenses, like rent and things like that. Mm-hmm. So if we pull over a person, it's like, hey, they work in the Boston office. It costs money to heat the Boston office and <laughs> right. to, to stock it with coffee. Um, <laughs> yep. And so uh, that, that comes with those people or, and, and with like me, for example. So yeah. it's not just my salary coming out of products. It's also the fact that I, I take up space. Sure. And I have a laptop <laughs> and things like that. Right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'm pumped. I, I could see how pe- like this could be like sounds scary or like uh, harder. I mean, I think it will be harder, um, but I'm excited about that harder. Mm-hmm. I feel it feels like graduating into like, you know, real mode. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I think it's a good it's a healthy kind of stress, I guess, to put to put on you to say, like, totally. you know, here's what it is. Here's the real numbers. You know? mm-hmm. Yep. So. And I also feel more empowered to spend that money, too, in a way. Mm-hmm. Where it's, I, I, right. I experienced this with like personal budgeting, actually, um, yeah. where like I would make a budget category for a thing and then fund it with some money. And then when I was ready to spend that money, I would spend it without guilt because it was mm-hmm. like, well, I earmarked it for this. And so I have no negative feelings about it. Right. And so it sounds like budgeting is restrictive and you would like, oh, like, I don't want to add a bunch of guilt around my spending. And it's like actually quite the opposite. It's like once right. you think about it and plan for it, then you can spend that money and feel really good about it, actually. That's right. Yeah. Oddly, way more so than if you hadn't budgeted. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, I think that's another like top reason. I think if you're starting a company and you're just say you're just doing it as a sole proprietor and you're basically funding it with your own personal finances, it is vital that you go out and open a new bank account for your business and invest whatever you're going to invest. And then as money comes in from the business, it goes into the business account and not 
commingled with personal finances yeah. because you can think about that money completely differently. Like I remember with CodeTree, you know, we it was relatively small, but at you know when I wanted to make an investment in larger servers or in whatever, some expense that cost multiple thousand dollars. I didn't have to think of it as if I were pulling out of my own personal bank account. You know, it's right. like this is business money. We can spend it for that purpose. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of psychology there, but I think it's totally necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Cool. Yeah. I think that's it for me, but it's been a, cool. it's been a good couple of weeks. I was in kind of a little funk there for a while, but now I'm feeling good. All right. That's good to hear. Yeah. Feels like things are back on track. Yeah, just in time for the for the new year. Yeah, totally. It's it's good timing as well. Kind of yeah. kick off two, 2017 and, and do it right. Yep. Yeah. So what's new with you? So not too much new for me. Um, most of my time has kind of been spent on this exciting new thing that is going to really help with a lot of the performance problems that are coming probably in the next six months um, for Drip. So basically the other day, about a week ago, uh, or maybe two weeks ago now, um, Rob and I were sitting down in the office and and we had been meeting periodically about this particular performance challenge. You know, one, one part of the app that lets you build up a filter of or build up a segment of subscribers that match certain criteria, like have they performed an event or have they opened an email? This particular part of the app for probably the top 5% of Drip accounts has been gradually slowing down mm-hmm. over time mm-hmm. as the number of records in the database grows. And really what it comes down to is just a bunch of joins in the background. Mm. And you know, any relational database is going to, and Postgres is no different, is going to have trouble when you're joining two or more tables that have millions of records in them. And we've been, you know, batting around ideas. Should we try to partition our data in a certain way? Should we ultimately be sharding our database? Which is like, that's the thing that we've been pushing up against. Like, we do not want to shard the database. Sharding, you hear so many horror stories about sharding. Just, just keeping things balanced, maintaining. You know, do you do you build sharding yourself in your code, or do you try to push it out into your database layer? There's pros and cons in both directions. Mm-hmm. Once you go there, it's really hard to go back if you decide that you know this is a this is ultimately not the right strategy. Mm-hmm. So we've been resisting it for a lot of reasons. And we were basically coming to our day of reckoning over like, you know, to stay ahead of the problem, which we always try to stay at least a few months ahead of any problems of scale. We really just need to start working on sharding now. Like that was sharding was ultimately the, the best solution we could come up with at the time. And so we were making the decision, you know, should we should we start putting a developer on this uh, the next week? So we're batting around ideas, batting around ideas, and kind of like I was talking about last week, you know, when you put two people in a room who have intimate knowledge of a product and a problem space, and you start throwing crazy ideas at the wall, sometimes one of those crazy ideas ultimately ends up turning into something not so crazy and actually the best solution possible. Hmm. And so we had a moment of that, and it was really exciting. We basically, um, I can't go into too much detail um, about the specifics because I think there's some still some secret sauce there and it's not fully fleshed out. Mm. Um, but suffice to say that the solution we came up with is going to, one, it's going to solve our performance problem. It's going to let us do some pre-computation in the background. So maybe up front, it's going to take a little longer to get the answer, but moving forward, you know, you, you'll be able to set up your segments and be able to look at them in real time super fast. So this is going to be really exciting. And the other thing, which this is a rarity in software development, is when you discover that one solution actually solves probably about five other problems we've been having, hmm. just utilizing the underlying technology that we that we landed on for, to solve this problem is going to help us with kind of our, our counting problem. And basically, anytime we need to count large sets of data, 
that's super slow in yeah. a relational database. Yeah. Um, there's like full articles on just like how to get around executing count queries in Postgres because the, you just hit an upper limit of, of resources when you're counting millions of records. Right. So using the same technology that's going to help with our join problem is going to help with our counting problem too. So it's going to speed up our, the way we compute our analytics, a lot of our reporting that has time series data and, you know, counts by day. That's, we're going to be able to leverage this technology for that. So it's really exciting. So I've been kind of heads down. I kind of set everything else aside. And for the last two weeks, I've been working on a proof of concept of this, at least. And we've started to ship pieces of it into production. Um, we have feature flags set up so that we can toggle it on just for our own internal accounts for now. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just kind of watching it uh, start to run in production. And so far, so far, so good. I think it's we've managed to put something together so fast because it's mostly additive. Like if you look at the diff, it's like a couple thousand lines added and almost nothing removed. You know, so it's it's mostly just this new system kind of bolted on. And we'll gradually like migrate some of our existing code over to using that. But we haven't had to mess with a lot of existing functionality to uh, to get a proof of concept running. So, huh. So why don't you want to talk about what the underlying thing is? So I think I'll be able to talk about it in maybe a few months once it's kind of solidified and and working. Um, But uh, yeah, I want to keep some of it close to the vest for now. Okay. Are you worried about people stealing it or your competitors taking it? It's, it's possible. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, that's that's quite a tease, but I'm glad exciting things are happening for you. <laughs> really, I yeah, I don't want to talk about it until until we've actually fully vetted the technology as well. Um, okay. I think I think it's it'll be much more interesting when we can actually give some some data, some results of of how it's working. Sure, sure. So okay, well, let's make sure to to do that when you're ready. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. You said you this slowdown was affecting the top five percent of accounts. What kind of subscriber numbers puts you in the top 5% roughly? If you're over 200,000 subscribers, you're you're up there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of getting more and more skewed as we get more free users because right. the, the free account is capped at 100 subscribers right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're getting a larger larger base of people with small small subscriber counts. Gotcha. But probably our top 10 customers probably accounts for I don't know, 20% of our email sending. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of top heavy. Yeah, that, that makes sense. sense. Yeah. Huh. Cool. So what else is new? It sounds like you've been you've been heads down on that. So maybe nothing else, huh? Yeah, no, nothing else really for me. We've team still getting up to speed. Um, you know, we hired our support engineer and our designer, and they're they're off to the races on hammering out their own projects. So yep. the onboarding of, of those folks has been has been pretty smooth, and it's good to get some of those responsibilities spread out among more people yeah like we were talking about before so sharding your uh your people exactly your yeah that's right yep. you, maybe you can use <laughs> this underlying technology to uh reduce your team size as well <laughs> yeah perhaps <laughs> i was thinking um actually on my walk to work today about you told me how when you guys decided that you wanted to add workflows mm-hmm. it, it sounded like you basically pushed everything off your plate and spent months heads down coding that yeah and it sounds like you're kind of in a similar place now. At least the last couple of weeks, you've been, you know, it sounds like mostly yeah. working on that. Is that accurate? Yeah, I would say that we made a decision to do that, to have me just kind of build out the very minimum viable feature um, for this. And now that like the kind of the core of it is live and it only took two weeks. So, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't going to be like a six month long project. Yeah. Um, but now that the core of it's live, I filed 
probably 10 issues related to it. And I'm going to start spreading those out among the team. Gotcha. So that's kind of the approach we're going to take for, for really large features is probably have one person build out the core functionality of it. And then as soon as we reach that state where we can actually start uh, getting other people involved, then, then start splitting it off into tiny chunks. Yep. I was, I was thinking about these things because I, I, I like that approach. And it, it feels to me, it, it feels nice that you're able to get cover or have an, enough team support to be like, okay, yeah. this is the only thing I'm doing for a while. Because it's yeah. just, it's so effective to just work on one thing, especially yeah. a, th- a code thing where you've got to just like explore the space and get into flow and understand all the things and load it all up in your brain that yep. it, it's like kind of impossible to get it done in small pieces at first. Right. Um, but so having that flexibility and the support from the people that you work with is sounds huge to me. Yeah, it was it was a struggle um, building workflows because we had a smaller team. So like, you know, when, when bugs would come up or other pressing features or whatever we needed to do came up, it was hard to stay focused on workflows the whole time. Yeah. So that was probably I mean, in hindsight, I would probably have tried to split it up into smaller chunks and and spread it out among more people. But we just were kind of constrained by by resources at that point, still being independent. Sure. So. Yeah, I, I like the approach. Of, I think it would be difficult to get multiple people involved with the very earliest stages of this of this feature, but at least getting a core of it out there allows us to to start spreading it out. Yeah. Shall we wrap it there? I think so. I'm good. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Uh, it's good to talk to you as always. You too, Ben. Yeah. Have a great Thanksgiving. You too. Cool. Today's show was produced and edited by Tom Kopobarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 220. Thanks for listening.